0: Wow, what a day. What a day. I mean, you think about it. Of course, they've been telling us for several days we would have some weather today. I'm glad it wasn't so bad you couldn't get out. Street's not terrible in most places, so I am I appreciate you getting out, being brave and coming out. And i got to say, it sure looked beautiful at our house a little earlier. Probably did at yours, too. Beautiful floating snow coming down. I was thinking, why couldn't this have been on a regular work day for people instead of on a Sunday? You know, what is it about Sunday that seems to attract that? I'm glad, though, that we can be here together today. I did fail to put in the announcements. I did fail to put in the announcements. It wasn't Keith's oversight. It was mine. Joan Keenan, I believe, is supposed to have a a, a procedure, and I can't remember if it was today, was uh, tomorrow or the next day. Anyway, she's supposed to have one in the next day or so. And so remember, Joan and Kevin, in your prayers as well. And there were others we could add to the list. You know, I noticed last Sunday morning, about halfway through my sermon, this clock up here was not moving, and it's still sitting at 920. So as Bill says, it's right twice a day, and uh, I'm probably wrong all day long. But I'm glad I'm glad that we can be here today. Glad we can share this time. We've got a lot of things going on, but we still want to be here and we still want to worship. I appreciate those who are watching at home for those of you who are undergoing testing and so forth we look forward to hearing positive results if you're overcoming some of the virus or other illnesses we look forward to you being well and we can hopefully be back together appreciate keith's prayer you know we do hope the vaccine will do a good job and help us in in our our social opportunities and get together and so we look forward to good things in the days ahead uh in the head of us and today we'll just think the snow looks pretty how about that Let's talk about what I call pressure and choices, and choices that are good and bad. I said we're going to look at Matthew 26, really a big portion of that chapter we're going to mention here, but let's just read a couple of verses so we kind of get a setup of what's going on. I alluded to it a few moments ago, but we want to get the setup of what's going on here because here we are at the Passover, and it's the last one that Jesus will have with his disciples and it says in verse 1 and reading through verse 2, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, the things that he had, he had taught back in tw- chapter 25. You need to go back and read that sometime because great parables filled with parables in chapter 25 and some of the well-known parables. And Read those. When it came to pass when he had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified—pretty straightforward stuff. From there, we go into what goes on at this gathering, and then other things follow after that. And the the final assembly of the people of the disciples, and what we often refer to as the Lord's Supper and the the Last Supper, gathered together in that occasion. But you know, I want us to think about this because this passage—we come down to the end of the. The physical, present ministry of Jesus, and there's a lot of pressure going on, and we see that taking place. And I think about it in our lives, I think there's a lot of pressure on right now. There's a lot of pressure. We feel it, whether it, we should or shouldn't, there's a lot of pressure out there to be to do to not do and, and all of these things kind of the, the pressure of worries and concerns about health of, of people and families and I said worries and people say you're not supposed to say worries well sometimes it gets to that point whether we should be worrying or not but there are those concerns that are there a lot of pressures and we may we may in our lives readily complain about the pressures of life but I've been reminded we need pressure to live We need pressure to live. Somebody said, you got to remember, you don't get the toothpaste out of the tube without pressure. That's just the way it is, and that's the way way life is. Blood doesn't course through your veins without your heart applying some pressure to it. Now, I know it can get pretty high sometimes, but we need pressure to be alive, to know we're alive. And isn't it something that high-pressure weather systems, high-pressure weather systems, high-pressure, generally bring fair weather. Maybe we think about that in our lives, and when we're under pressure, maybe fair weather's on its way. But let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a personal family story. I'll tell you right up front, that's what it is. If you don't want to hear my personal story, just kind of shut off for a moment, and we'll get back to the gist of the lesson in a moment. But I think it's a great story. It's a personal family story about pressure, and it's not about my wife, or my children, okay? I've told enough bad stories about that. This one goes back a ways. In 1947, in 1947, there was a young preacher who, who asked a pretty young lady, a pretty young lady to marry him. And she agreed to do so. And in the course of things, he gave her a fairly simple but very attractive, nice engagement ring. Not the one in the picture, but just that's symbolic or whatever. Gave her that ring. Now the young lady, the young lady was finishing her schooling to be a nurse. She was nearly through with her schooling to be a nurse and was from people of very limited means and and so forth. They didn't have money and so forth but that didn't bother the young preacher because he didn't have any money either just barely getting by his he, he was fresh out of college uh, about the year before gotten out of college and the previous year and he was just beginning his life and uh, just barely getting by on what he had as well but they plunged ahead they plunged ahead Decided they were going to get married because they were, you know how it is, they were deeply in love and they were going to get married. And they went about their ways and they moved forward. But they did have a struggle. There was a struggle they had. You see, the the young preacher was living in a rooming house where he rented a small bedroom. Had bathroom and kitchen privileges. He shared a a bathroom with several other people in the house. And he could use the kitchen if it wasn't being used by other people at the time. Had some privileges there. But basically he was renting a small room from someone there in town. The young lady wanted him to set a wedding date. She kept trying to get him to set a wedding date. And he said, well, I just can't, until I can get things together, until I can, can do this. He didn't want to marry and take his young bride into a rooming house that was shared with a bunch of other people to live at that time. That was his thought. Now, whether you agree with him or not, that was his thought. But his very pretty fiance expressed to him she didn't care. She was willing to live with him anywhere, but he was very hesitant. So the problem was that she wanted to set the wedding date. and The poor young preacher uh, hesitated in order to figure out how he could get enough finances and how he could get enough money together to improve their living conditions so they wouldn't have to live where he had been living. But that disagreement reached such a point and became so tense that on a certain day when he would not relent, And she wanted so much to set that date, she removed her engagement ring and threw it at him and walked away from him. Well, that got his attention. He caught up with her. As she left, he caught up with her. And she relented, took back the ring. And a few weeks later, on November the 4th of 1947, the two of them were married in her hometown. They took a, a short honeymoon. They didn't have any money much, but they took a short honeymoon, went away for just a very few days, and made their way back toward town to, be, to find their home in that rooming house. But when they got to town, they found that they were no longer to live in the rooming house. I think the lady in the rooming house told them, You don't live here anymore. Fortunately, she was a nice lady. And she told them that while they were gone, the church where he was working had found a house, rented it, and even purchased some used furniture for them in the house. Now, that's all kind of beside the story. So they began their lives together. But I think about it, if she had not if she had not put the pressure on, if she had not thrown back that ring, if she had not pushed him to go ahead and set the date and go forward with their lives, they may not have married when they did or they may not have married at all. And eight years later, I wouldn't have been born. I want you to think about that. Pressure can be a very powerful tool and it can be a very good tool sometimes pressure pushes pushes us to make good and important decisions but it can go in the other direction so let's think about that in the light of Matthew 26 good and bad things were happening Good and bad things were happening there. They were, they were at that climactic point in Jesus' ministry. People were listening to him. It was that last week in Jerusalem. The stories were coming out. He was telling them were very pointed, very straightforward. But some of the intimations of this pressing time were not understood by people. They weren't understood even by some of his disciples. John 2 We go back to early days of his ministry. It says that Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up. They didn't understand what he was talking about. They thought he was talking about the big temple that Herod the Great had been building for 46 years. But Jesus knew that it was time for the cross. The time was here. And it tells us in John 2 that when Jesus was raised, after his death and his resurrection, they realized finally what he had been talking about. But those close followers of Jesus, and any time he brought this subject up, they didn't want to hear it, they didn't want to accept it. I think about Peter's response to him. Lord, that's going to be far from you. This will not happen. Matthew 16, and verse 22. But things have been unfolding and pointing to this end for quite some time. Recent events and those recent lessons in chapter twenty five and even in chapter twenty four of Matthew had emphasized the changing of events, the coming of something special, and the the need of preparation and being ready. There was a real pressure that was that was coming on in these things, and I want you to think about just in this this chapter, there were choices that were made. Under pressure that came to a head at this point, the pressure was there, Jesus was there, the Passover was there, a lot of things were going on, and I find that in verses 2 through 4, there was a plot by the chief priests and scribes and elders, they came together trying to figure out how they could get rid of Jesus. And beginning to think, well, let's get somebody and we'll get somebody to do it. We'll put some money out there. We'll put 30 pieces of silver on the table and somebody will turn him in. Somebody will take care of this business. So there was a plot by those chief priests, the scribes and the elders to get rid of Jesus. And it came to a head right then. But at that gathering that's early, early in Bethany and in that gathering that took place there. Evidently, in a Pharisee's home in Bethany, somewhere near the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, because Lazarus was at this meal, Mary came in and anointed Jesus' feet with an ointment, a a very nice ointment with a great aroma that was very, very expensive. And John 12 tells us it was Mary that did this. And some of the disciples struggled with that, but there was that beautiful anointing. And Jesus said, she has anointed me for my burial. What a beautiful thought. Pressure, making good choices. And again, there was a bad choice. There was the deal Judas made to betray Jesus here in this time. He had gone to the chief priests and scribes and so forth He says, hey, I'll do it. Now give me 30 pieces of silver, I'll do it. He took the money and he... Set about to figure out that time and place to betray Jesus. And we find right here in this chapter, verse 14, 15, and 16, he made that deal to do that right there, thinking that, knowing he was doing it, thinking about what a bad choice that he made on that occasion under pressure. And a beautiful choice was Jesus celebrating with his disciples there. And we still remember it, don't we? We read about it. This very special occasion. We don't read much about other Passover events that took place during the ministry of Jesus with his disciples. But this one stands out. And there was that choice. And Jesus said, I have had great longing in another gospel account to do this. But Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. And then in verse 25. Judas went ahead with his choice and under pressure. And Jesus had already pointed out that he was the one. Maybe the others didn't recognize it, but Judas knew what he was talking about. And Judas went and set about to do the betrayal, to bring the mobs that would take Jesus away and see about his crucifixion. Judas followed through as a traitor in that occasion And, of course, we recognize how he dealt with that a little bit later in this same chapter down at verse 47. And so our reading only went through verse 25. But verse 47 and through about verse 50, we find that he followed through with this and brought the mobs and took care of the business. In verses 51 through 54, Peter makes a choice. He pulls out a sword. He's going to defend Jesus. Sounds like a good choice, but Jesus says this is not the choice to make. And so under pressure, immediately, perhaps being awakened there and startled by the crowd, he pulls his sword and he reaches out and even uh, injures one man. Peter used his sword. And another choice, the disciples, in the disturbance of the time and the mob coming by, they make a choice under pressure to flee. You see, a lot of choices were made. There was a lot of pressure here, a lot of things going on. But sometimes it takes, it takes pressure, hard pressure, to make hard choices. Sometimes it takes a lot to push somebody to make a choice. I think about in Exodus 3 of, of Moses and how the Lord has him there on the mountain, the burning bush that's not being consumed and the voice of the Lord. Take off your sandals, get off here. And he's talking to Moses. He says, you're going to go do this for me. And Moses says, wait a minute. This is not for me. I'm not the guy for this. And the Lord says, yes, but if I go, they won't know who sent me. Yes, I'm going to tell you who sent you. If I go, how am I going to prove it? And he says, here, throw down your staff. He gives him all kinds. of things. Lord, I'm not the guy that can talk like this. i got your brother. He's going to be prepared to do it. It took a lot of salesmanship and a lot of pressure to get Moses to do what he did. And look how that turned out. The best choice that Moses made in his life. And he'd made some other tough ones was to go and do what God called on him to do and Jesus choice we got to say it's a good choice because he knew what was at stake the writer of Hebrews would say as we've quoted so many times who for the joy that was set before him who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and sat down on the right hand the right hand of God Jesus knew what was at stake when he made that choice. He knew what it was going to cost him, but he knew what was at stake. And the pressure of the choice brought him to do it. I'm just trying to tell you that these these hours and even the days, the, the week before the cross especially, were times of high pressure. And a lot of choices were being made. And so what does it mean to you and me? What does it mean to you and me? We have to make choices when the pressure is on. As I said in the very beginning, we feel like there's quite a bit of pressure, don't we? We feel like we've got quite a bit of pressure going on, not just, not just the pandemic, not just getting out in the weather. I mean, we just had an ice storm, then we come back and have beautiful weather, and then we have a snowstorm. What's the deal with that? Anyway, but seriously, don't you feel like there's a lot of pressure in our society today? A lot of tensions that are out there. A lot of arguments that are there. We worry about saying the right words or or using the wrong words at times when we're not thinking. Maybe we we, we say something that we didn't intend. And the implications of it are pretty tough when that happens. Well, friends, when we find ourselves under stressful pressure, there are a couple of things we may do. When we feel like we're under pressure and we know the choice has to be made, we may want somebody else to make that choice. Did somebody else make that choice? It's kind of like getting everybody in the car to go out to eat and say, where does everybody want to go to eat? I don't know. Somebody's got to make the choice. Don't that's ridiculous to use that as an illustration, but that's the way we are sometimes. Even when it's very important choices, we don't want to face them because we recognize consequences might be very, pardon the word, dire and it's difficult to make those tough, tough choices. And when you make the ones that, that have to do with life and death, do we pull the plug? Do we not pull the plug? Do we take this? Do we do this? Do we just let nature run? Its... What do we do in this case? Tough, tough choices. we like somebody else to make those choices. When Jehoshaphat was with Ahab, and Ahab wanted him to go to war with him, and he said, well, let's hear from a prophet. He wanted somebody else to tell him what he should do. Oh, yeah, that's right to seek God, I understand. But he wanted a prophet of the Lord to come in and tell him what he needed to do. And then he didn't do it, do what the prophet said anyway. We want somebody else to make the choice for us. Or maybe we just make a random choice. We just say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And see where it lands. Toss the dice, spin the dial, whatever. Close your eyes and pin the tail. Where is it going to go? Just make any choice at random, but let me offer you this let me offer you this in regard to this and and I think this is good i, I you know this this is a really good lesson, and the people that didn 't hopefully they 're watching it this is a really, really good lesson. <laughs> let me offer you to you some thoughts when you 're making any choice, remember this: number one, remember. Pressure is never an excuse for doing the wrong thing. Don't go back and say, oh, man, I, just, I made a bad choice because there was so much pressure on me. There's an Old Testament story in 1 Kings 13 where a prophet was sent to do a job and he was told, don't eat or drink while you're there. You go there, do the job, and you turn around and come home. Well, there was an old prophet came up and told him that the Lord had told him, stop and come into my house and eat with me. That's what the Lord told me. Well, the guy was lying. But the prophet who had been sent listened to him and went with him and died as a result of it. There's a lesson in there. Pressure is never an excuse for doing the wrong thing, even if it's claimed to be from God. People will tell you, God told me, that's why I've done it, that's the thing. Galatians 1 and verse 8 is a powerful verse that we need to remember said even if an angel from heaven comes and gives you a different gospel a different message let him be accursed pressure is never an excuse for doing the wrong thing secondly pressure can reach into emotions that have never been, that have been held in check and been covered up otherwise if pressure can reach down and can touch us in ways when that's why it's good sometimes it can make us do things that we might have hesitated otherwise. It can reach emotions that have been held in check. Think about those people that listened to Peter and the others on that Pentecost day in Acts 2 in verse 37. Their guilt was there, but when Peter preached about it and laid it all out before them and finally came down to the, you brought about the death Of Jesus, It says it cut them to the heart. Did they know what they had done? Had they all been players in this game? Not necessarily, but they had allowed it to happen. And suddenly now it was past them, but now they're saying, ah. And it cut them to the heart when they realized what they had done. It can reach emotions that have been held in check as Peter put on the pressure that day. Thirdly, pressure can make us go along with the crowd. The crowd is not always wrong, I know. But I think about those people that I mentioned there. Did they all really want Jesus to be crucified? When he was brought to Pilate that day, when they was run through the city in the way that he was, when he was put on that cross and people had hollered out, crucify him, crucify him. Did they really want him crucified? Were those people all on board? But the pressure of the day, the force of the leadership and all of those had brought them to do what they probably did not really want to do. Pressure can make you go along with the crowd and justify it well that's what everybody else was doing and you know what mothers have always said about that and then number four pressure can make you feel you have to do that you have to do what you would never have done in lesser circumstances in other words i never would have done this if it weren't for this pressure now again that can be good One of the great Old Testament stories is the story of Esther. You remember that? Great story in Esther. Go back and read that one again. It's a short story. It won't take you long. But read that story of Esther and get over to the fourth chapter when Mordecai is trying to convince Esther that she needs to do something about saving her people. And she's wondering, what can I do about it? And he says, you've got to go to the king. She said, I haven't been called to the king because she knows if she tries to go in, he might not hold up his scepter. And she or anybody else that did that when he doesn't hold up his scepter is subject to death. But I love Esther's remark when she realizes Mordecai puts the pressure on her to go and do it. And she says, I'll go. And if I die, I die. She was accepting. She would not have done it if not for the pressure of that day. It can make you feel that you have to do what you wouldn't do under any other circumstances. Let me give you two more. Pressure can make us finish. Pressure can make us finish. If you're running in a race, you're not supposed to do it, but one of the things you tend to want to do is just look and see if somebody's right behind you. I've known a few football players that should have looked to see if somebody was coming up behind them. They might have gotten away, but that's another story. But pressure can make us finish. If you know somebody's on your tail, that somebody's just about to pass you, it can push you to go that little bit of extra effort to finish. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Then the next line, Therefore, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me at that day. He said, pressure can make us finish. Knowing what's ahead, knowing what we will achieve, knowing what's there can make us finish the race. Keep in mind, keep your focus on what's there, and that pressure can help us finish. And one more, pressure can bring us together. You know, I've spent a lot of years trying to encourage people in coming together in the assembly. I used to use Hebrews ten twenty five a lot and probably abuse that passage a few times. But there is still something in that passage that says the assembling together is important. Again and again in the scriptures we find the apostles and close followers of Jesus were assembling. Acts chapter 1, what were they doing after Jesus ascended? They go back and they're spending time together in prayer and preparation and all of that. Chapter 2 and verse 1, what are they doing? They're assembled together in one accord and that's not a Honda car. They were in one accord. They were together and assembled and a part of that. Pressure can bring us together. They knew the pressure of the moment. They knew what people were thinking. They knew that they were left to do something. And they knew with that pressure they needed one another and they needed to be together. Don't you look forward to the day when some things are out of our way that we can do that even better. But we need that. We need that. And I pray for it every day. I hope you do too. Pressure can bring us together. I was thinking about some of the earliest days of this pandemic, when some of us were dumb enough to think it's going to be gone in a few weeks. It'll come in, it'll do its business, and it'll go out of the way, and we won't have to deal with it anymore. And Trey told us we're just at the beginning, and he was right. He was right, and I don't know when it'll all go away, and we can to the point that we can we can be much more normal in our relationship, but. I think the pressure can draw us together. In the early days, I think we missed it a lot. And it made us want to get together more. And I hope it's still working that way on us as we we move forward. So what am I telling you? Know the pressure. Know the pressure of these things. Know what is going on. Because information... Information is its own kind of pressure, and it makes us work, makes us think, James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. In other words, information is pressure. So use your pressure and use it well. Jesus used it well, made the good choices. Some people, Judas and a few others, made bad choices, but use the pressure to choose well. So let me leave you with this thought this morning. Let me leave you with this thought. Joshua's words ought to ring with a sense of vibrancy, a loud ringing in our ears and reminder. As he told the Israelites in his final gathering with them, choose this day whom you will serve. And I got to say, if that's pressure, if that's pressure, if that's pressure I'm putting on you, if that's pressure the Lord is putting on us, if that's pressure, then so be it. Let's use it for good. This morning we will sing again a song of encouragement, invitation. Let it be a reminder to us and an encouragement to each and every one of us. And if there is someone who needs to respond this morning, we're ready to assist you here and now this very day. All you need to do is come while we stand and sing together.